Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gilner, and thank you so much for joining us. Today's episode is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach with a growth mindset, Stick and Ball is a no-brainer. There are hundreds of videos, all updated weekly, from some of the best minds in baseball and softball. Do yourself a favor and go check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. Today's show is sponsored by What About Baseball? It's no secret that we live in a world with constant electronic distractions. Families are spending less time together and kids often can't look up from their devices. But the What About Baseball brand is here to help. What About Baseball is a family-owned, baseball-centric business whose focus is on providing the best baseball toys, games, and accessories to bring friends and family back together to bond over the great sport of baseball. Starting with the best-selling Classic Edition board game, What About Baseball offers fun and exciting gameplay for fans of all levels, from beginner to expert. Whether you want to teach someone the basics of counting balls and strikes, or whether you are deciding on strategy such as the Suicide Squeeze, the Classic Edition board game is a proven winner and has the reviews to prove it. Even better, it's made right here in the USA. What About Baseball would like to reward Ahead of the Curve listeners with 20% off their best-selling board game and free shipping. Go to whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve. Once again, that's whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve. On today's show, we have on Freddie Hilliard, head baseball coach at Malvern Prep in Malvern, Pennsylvania. Freddie is in his 11th season as the head baseball coach at Malvern. And in his time there, he has amassed a school record of 282 wins and has led the Friars to seven league championships, six state titles, and the previous three in a row to go along with eight straight seasons of making it to the state final. Coach Hilliard has been named Coach of the Year three separate times during his tenure, and his teams have been nationally recognized with both the preseason and postseason national rankings in multiple publications seven times. Coach Hilliard has helped mentor over 65 players onto the collegiate baseball ranks, including 40 that have gone on to play at the Division I level. And he has also had a player selected in the Major League Draft three of the four previous years. On the show, we discuss the meaning behind Malvern having no rules. We talk about defining and teaching core values, and we spend a ton of time on planning practice. Here is Freddie Hilliard. Freddie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Definitely. Well, I'm excited to get to learn from you today and get to learn more about you today. And so I do want to rewind a little bit and let's go back to your first year in 2010, where you you mentioned uh, to me before the show started that you had a, an interim tag uh, mm-hmm. to start the season and then you got the job full time in 2011. But let's just kind of rewind back to 2010. Was that kind of a, a last minute thing, hectic moment, and just kind of walk us through what that first year was like? Yeah, yes and no. Um, not as hectic because I had been the assistant coach there for five years at the time, so um, I had my lay of the land there, and you know, kind of knew the players well and and the, the way the program operated. So um, that part of it was familiar to me. The the part of jumping into the head coach seat with a couple weeks before tryouts and starting the season um, was a little more challenging. And and um, you know, having the interim tag, not knowing what would become of that, uh, was also an, an area like, okay, can I truly 
make this program my own right now or do I need to kind of just keep the seat warm for someone else or, you know, what was going to happen from there? So that, that part of it was a little bit uh, unique. Well, that's interesting. And so you, you get the interim job and then you take over in 2011. So talk to us about, and, and being the assistant is really cool too, because you've already been a part of that program for, like you said, five to six years at, at when you took over. And so, you know, what was the vision for you whenever you took over and kind of walk us through the steps of things that you wanted to keep, but also things that you wanted to change. And it's, uh, again, you get a cool perspective because you've been there. So you can kind of add to the layers that have already been there and keep what you want and then discard and, and add to what you don't want, but kind of walk us through what, what that year was like. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to, to take over a program that already had a pretty strong tradition of success. Um, you know, Malvin Prep had had a couple first round picks in the 90s um, with Ben Davis and Josh McKinley and um, had a pretty good, uh, you know, brand already formed. And, and then the years I was there, we, you know, started winning a couple championships when I was an assistant coach. And, um, you know, things were definitely trending upwards. So it wasn't like it was a, um, you know, a whole like a rebuild process or a start from scratch. It was really about fine tuning it. Um, but one of the first things I tried to do is I, I want to put an emphasis on something that's super critical to our success, in my opinion, that was getting our players um, to be the best versions of themselves off the field uh, with the belief that, you know, if we had this winner's mindset, we kind of coined it. And, and a winner's mindset to me at the time was, uh, you know, we weren't going to just try to flip a switch when it came to step, when it came time to step between the lines. Uh, we wanted them to compete to be the best students they could be, the best friends they could be, best sons, best brothers, and, and really be ambassadors for Malvin Prep. Um, we wanted them to understand that everything they did mattered, uh, not just how they performed at practice or in games. Like all that stuff was going to be evaluated year round, basically. And, and if we understood and lived our lives this way, then the baseball part of it would work itself out uh, because we were, you know, we were forming and practicing great habits 24 hours a day. Um, so that was one of the things I first wanted to kind of drive home that was new, I felt like. Um, another part of my vision was really school and team pride. Um, I took over, like you said, as the interim in you know late January of 2010. Uh, so that first year was difficult to really put my stamp on the program uh, due, due to the timing of when I took over and the uncertainty of whether I'd be leading them again in 2011. But once the interim tag was moved, I, I had some time to really put my fingerprints all over it and evaluate the landscape. Um, just, you know, just to give you an idea where I'm going with this, uh, in 2010, um, we had a, a, one of our better players uh, was a senior. And in the, the state tournament, he actually missed the game to go to his you know, college orientation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and we lost and, and his career was over as well as the other seniors wow. on that team. Um, so I felt like that and then I had a, an issue with a pitcher who, despite what the trainer said and MRIs and x-rays and, and all that, was cleared to throw and just shut himself down, um, just didn't want to pitch anymore. So I was dealing with some issues uh, coupled with the landscape of travel baseball boom uh, and seeing other programs and other players that seem to be devaluing high school ball and you know putting getting their scholarship and travel baseball uh, on this pedestal. They looked at the spring season uh, almost like a spring training uh, to get ready for the summer because that's when they'd be able to play in front of college coaches. So that was a little bit more important to them. I didn't want to see us go down that trend. I wanted us to, you know, to enforce the belief that playing for your school matters. 
you know, playing for your teammates and, and for the school name and, and not just yourself really matters. Uh, and coming together as a group with the one collective goal to win championships had to be a primary focus for each and every player in our program, or I would simply just not want them in our program. And we've had times through the years where we've turned players away um, that we didn't feel had that mindset. Um, and, and then lastly, for me, for vision wise, I just really wanted to surround myself with like-minded coaches um, that understood my vision, my beliefs uh, and my passion and so not only supported it, but they also lived it themselves. And, and I could trust that things would be done the way that I wanted them to be done uh, and wouldn't feel like I had to stretch myself too thin uh, trying to cover everything. I could trust that these guys that I put around me were going to reinforce the same you know, concepts and visions that I was trying to put on our kids when I wasn't there, when I wasn't at their, their station, when I wasn't at their, you know, positional, uh, you know, point of view on the, on the field that day, I, I just felt like I had to have guys I could trust and believe in what we were trying to do. No, I love that. And, and I can imagine that would be, you know, really hard. And thank you for, uh, you know, being vulnerable with that, because it, it's something that we may have some coaches listening that are going through that right now. And another thing that I think is interesting, and I've never had to do this myself, but I just I'm, I'm envisioning being an assistant and then thrust into the head coaching role. So tell us about like that moment that you had to make that switch from assistant to head coach because it, it changes and you can no longer, you know, cut up with the guys as much, I think a little bit. And and, the, and then it changes for them because you're no longer like that buffer between the head coach and them. And now you're leading the program and in a lot of ways, the enforcer of, uh, of the vision that you want to encompass. But was there ever a moment that you were like, man, I have to make this switch right now. And, and then this has to change because now I'm in, in the head coach's seat. Yeah. I mean, almost effective immediately. Um, you know, you, <laughs> you nailed it again. Like I think when you're an assistant coach, um, after the games, you can, you know, talk to parents, um, you know, you can have a little more fun with the kids. Um, you know, you're, you're just, you're just teaching the game and, and, you know, you're really personable. And the way I describe it to, you know, parents in our, you know, I have a parent meeting every year. Um, and I tell them, I said, look, out of the season, like, I'm a guy you'd probably want to sit down with and, and grab a beer with, or, you know, have a conversation with, but during the season, I, I'm very standoffish and it's not because I'm, I'm trying to be that way. It's because I have to be that way. Uh, and the reason being is that every conversation that you seem to have as a head coach can be perceived uh, differently um, by the people that are, you know, the eyeballs that are watching you. Um, you know, I might look at it as just a regular, you know, meet and greet and a little hello and, and, you know, maybe share a laugh, but, Another parent might see that and think, well, that's why his kid plays or, um, you know, people get the wrong concept, or the wrong idea about those relationships you're trying to form. And, and you almost have to keep people at arm's distance as a head coach. And, and same with your players a little bit. You have to make sure that you're setting the standards and the expectations. Um, but I will say the one thing I have learned through the years is to still be authentic with it. You know, it. I, I can be playful at practice. My guys know that. They know that I'm going to laugh and I'm going to smile and, and I'm going to you know, have fun just like our assistant coaches and they're going to have. Um, but they also know where the line is. They also know what's acceptable behavior and what isn't. So I think just when you put that head coach's hat on, the way I describe to people is you're not usually judged um, by a lot of people on your character anymore. Uh, you're not judged fairly uh, anymore. You're judged by the names you put in the lineup card. 
and it's not fair. Um, it's not something I, I, I enjoy, but it's the reality of it. Um, you know, a lot of people will like you based on if they're playing or if their, their child is playing and they won't like you if they're not playing and if their child is not playing. Um, it has nothing to do with you as a person. Um, and it's unfortunate uh, that that's kind of the culture of our world sometimes, but I just try to make sure that I, I'm as fair and as forthright and communicative as I possibly can be ahead of things. So everyone's kind of prepared for that and also educating them on that. You know, the same guy that I ran into at uh, the convenience store uh, back in September when, you know, we talked about the team for a couple minutes and shared a laugh. Now, April 15th, after the game, I just give him a wave and walk right by him. I don't want him to be confused by that. Like I want parents and players to understand why I have to behave the way I behave uh, and give them that educational background to understand it from my lens. That's really good. With a lot of things that, that come with being a head coach, again, you're, you're the standard enforcer and you, you know, you have a set of rules or guidelines that you want your group to adhere to. What are those at Malvern? So it's funny. Um, you know, we, we, we have one rule we joke about. Um, it's really an ongoing joke in our program that the, the one rule is this, is that there are no rules. <laughs> so um, we are more of a standards program. Uh, we felt rules are really restricting and, and punitive in nature. Uh, you know, you do this or else this consequence will happen or a lot of don't do this, don't do that stuff. Um, just always felt like there's just too many negative connotations and you end up with players uh, just trying not to do things or trying to do things just not to get in trouble uh, and, and face punitive action rather than actually changing behavior and getting buy-in with that. So instead we want our players to take pride in living up to our standards and beliefs of what makes us, us. And, and we try to keep things pretty simple for them. Uh, you know, from a standard standpoint, first and foremost, be on time. Uh, I think so much of life uh, revolves around that one standard. You know, we're, we're a big program of, if you're five minutes early or 10 minutes late kind of deal, you know, practice starts at three 30 means practice starts at three 30, not you're putting on your cleats, not you're, you know, walking up to the, to the park, like that kind of stuff. Um, and we want kids to carry that with them forever. Uh, be a gentleman and give 100% at everything you do. And they're very broad. They encompass an awful lot in our eyes. Like they cast a, a very large umbrella for us to go about, you know, how they go about their life day in and day out but it leads to a lot of teachable moments, you know, being a gentleman, like, okay, how do you define that? Well, you know, I want our boys to, to behave appropriately on and off the field. I want them to look the part. I want them to have their, you know, their shirts tucked in. I want them to shake people's hand, look them in the eye. I want them to take their hats off when we eat a meal uh, and we walk inside a building. Um, so we're just trying to in, instill these things in them. And then when certain things pop up, that would have maybe been a rule infraction, you can kind of go to these and say, well, you know, you didn't give 100% at, at your behavior conduct in class the other day, or you weren't really a gentleman to that teacher. Um, so that's that's a big part of us for for the standards. And then, you know, we also established the core values that, you know, frankly, we just took them from, you know, Coach Laws at TCU. We felt like they were really good and, and fit what it is that we believe in, the core values of selflessness, excellence, and energy. Um, and, and we want our players to understand what those mean uh, and live by them. And then again, those are also very encompassing for us. There's plenty of situations that if you're a rule guy, I'm sure whatever rule was violated would fall under a violation of these core values. So that's how we kind of approach it and, and just want to instill that in our guys. 
Oh, that's wonderful. And uh, and so, you know, one of the things that I think is is taken the I don't know I don't want to say it's a buzzword because it is important, but we talk about culture building all the time, and you hear uh, that that's important, and it, and it obviously is. But what are some different things that no matter what team that you've got, whether it's you know your 2015 team or your 2021 team, uh, what are some things that get them to buy into? what you guys are doing on a yearly basis, uh, creating team cohesion and just the environment that they show up every day. I think a huge part of that is the standards that you have, uh, which you talked about, you know, being on time, selfless energy and excellence and all of the, th- the, all of those things. But is there, is there anything that's unique to you guys or anything that you have loved that you could share with us, uh, for coaches who are wanting to do just a, b- a better job of building the environment, building the culture every day? Yeah. So for us, I mean, it, it revolves around those core values that, you know, selflessness, excellence, and energy, like it, those themselves could be buzzwords if you don't take the time to really instill and teach them. Um, so one of the things that we do, one of the first things we do with our teams every year is, you know, we establish what those those core values are. Uh, and then we break them up into groups. And basically, it's almost like a classroom atmosphere. We, we ask them to get in their groups. We assign each group one of those words. Um, they're asked that we give them a, a stack of index cards. Um, they're asked to, one, define what it means. Um, two, give examples of how we demonstrate that core value. And three, give examples of how the w- ways that th- these core values can be violated, both on and off the field. Um, we then ask them to share out in their groups what they came up with. So from our point of view to us, this helps us enforce the values with our older guys, teach it to our younger guys. Uh, but most importantly, the players are the ones that are defining them and giving examples. So this leads to buy-in and accountability on their part because it's now it's not me or my coaches dictating it, uh, but it's rather them having the ownership of it all. So this will help down the road because they all become instant stakeholders and have the ability to police them, police themselves better because they're basically their standards. They're, they define them. They did all of it. Um, it. It's not the head coach putting this on you. It's not the assistant coaches putting on you. So, you know, I view the culture issues almost like you know, basic fire prevention. Um, you know, for example, you wouldn't leave a stack of papers near a stove or, you know, plugged in appliance near water. So right off the bat, sure. we're going to try, we're trying to implement and put ourselves in position where, you know, these infractions or violations of our standards are going to be less likely with the way we communicate and how we treat everyone equally. Next, if, if you do have a fire breakout in your home, you're going to move quickly and efficiently to put it out immediately. So it doesn't spread. For us, this can be done by anyone on our team. It doesn't have to be a captain, quote unquote, or a senior. Um, they're all stakeholders. This is their program. It's not my program. So anyone can step up and, and help police the standards um, and, and teach what it is that makes a Malvern Prep baseball player a Malvern Prep baseball player. Um, lastly, if that fire does happen to spread and isn't put out, you have to call the fire department and they have to come in and, and put it out and you hope they can do it quickly and efficiently enough that your house isn't ruined beyond repair. I'm the fire department. You know, the coaches, their fire department, we don't ever want to feel forced to call the fire department in our homes because we know that means that already significant damage has most likely been done. Um, however, sometimes you have no choice because you didn't do a good job of preventing it in the first place. You didn't do a good job of snuffing it out before it grew too large. So that's how I kind of view my program from a disciplinary standpoint and from our culture. Um, that said, I'm not, I don't want anybody listening to think I'm 
getting it twisted. I'm not shirking my responsibilities. I'm, I'm still going to, you know, take care of the things I need to take care of. But I just think that great programs with established standards tend to police themselves a uh, majority of the time. And, and the last thing for me that's unique, we're a private school. So our players um, aren't coming all from the same neighborhood, you know, or from the same county or from the, you know, the same, some kids are coming 45 minutes to school. Some kids live around the corner from the school. Um, so there's, a, there's a little bit of familiarity that needs to be breeded with our guys. So, you know, we try, whether it's in our groups at practice, our groups, uh, you know, traveling, it, it, we usually have a Florida trip, obviously, you know, this is year number two of not having it due to everything we're dealing with in the country with COVID. Um, but in the Florida trip, like, uh, you know, I usually assign who's in what bus or who's in what van. I assign the room assignments and everything I do, there's a method to my madness. Like I'm trying to, you know, look at my team and I'm trying to put guys that, Hey, they might not normally sit next to this kid in the cafeteria, or they might not normally be hanging out with this kid before practice. Uh, you know, I want our guys to get to know guys that they normally wouldn't have uh, and, and make sure that we're, we're kind of expediting the, the get to know you phase and getting to know something about them they, they didn't know before um, and, and really trying to get these kids to come together as, as one unit. So everything we do has a reason, you know, even stuff as simple as like your BP groups, you know, because those guys are going to be standing around, you know, chit-chatting in between pitches maybe, or, or something's going to be going on, or they're going to be competing uh, and keeping score. And we want to mix them up frequently so that guys are learning from each other and pushing each other and getting to know each other uh, in ways that they might not normally have in the past. I really like that. And uh, again, I, I don't know who would disagree with you about uh, the, the players policing themselves are the best teams. I mean, <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more there. And, and I think that that's well, you know, you've got a good team whenever players are willing to go the extra mile of holding other guys to a standard, because I know we, uh, on Twitter, it gets talked about a lot, but you know, I just want to also throw out that we as coaches, it's it's still really hard to even hold our other coaches to a standard, and it's the same dynamic that the players have. So it's not an easy thing to do. But whenever again, you you know the standard, you embody the standard, and you have that, then I think it's it's a little bit easier. And so I love that you wanted to make that that uh, really clear with with your process. And I love the different groupings that you have. That's also really really good. So with you guys, uh, it sounds like you have a little bit later calendar than we do here in Oklahoma, which we start uh, basically December one. You can have full practice and and uh, however long with unlimited time. So if you don't mind, I'd love to hear you walk us through your off-season program uh, or your calendar or kind of how the year goes until you're leading up to uh, your preseason. Well, first, I'm, I'm very envious of you. I did not know that uh, is the way in Oklahoma. So yeah, um, it's great. You know, I'm very envious that you guys get to do that. Um, so, I mean, I'll start with our off-season. You know, our season typically ends around Memorial Day, um, you know, for the private school state tournament. It's usually – Luckily, we've been in that championship game pretty frequently through the years, and it's that Memorial Day weekend. Um, so pretty much every single player in our program after our season ends will be or should be playing summer ball at, at some level. Um, we do not put expectations or limitations on them beyond that. For example, you know, a lot of guys will play AAU travel ball, uh, but we have no issues with our guys that, you know, that if they want to play Legion ball with their neighborhood buddies. Uh, however, before they leave us for the year, you know, we will have our exit interviews with each player, you know, and we'll review the past season, 
you know, areas of strength, what they did well, areas of improvement, uh, what we want them to focus on along with, you know, what I call kind of my crystal ball outlook in which I kind of give them a sense of where they currently stand looking ahead at next year with the understanding that I don't really have a crystal ball and a lot can change between late May and, you know, March 1. So we, we really just want them playing and using the things that they learned all spring and continue to develop with a plan, um, first and foremost. In the fall, we're a lot more flexible. We have guys that might play football or soccer or, you know, run track or whatever else they might be doing. Um, we also have guys that we use the fall to train rather than play. I mean, a lot of our guys do play fall baseball, but uh, some of our guys, they, they make the decision. More games isn't always a positive. I, I need to get better. I need to spend more time you know, working on certain things, get stronger, quicker, whatever it might be. So we're big believers in taking care of your body. Um, you know, we like multi-sport guys if we can get them, um, making sure that they understand it's not just about piling up the games and the at-bats. It's about getting better. Um, whatever you feel like will accomplish that for you, we support. You know, we're, we're going to have some input on it. We're going to, you know, be able to critique it or say what we think. But at the end of the day, like we want each kid to have ownership of their own careers. So, as far as our league goes, you know, unlike you guys, our, our league has some pretty archaic rules and restrictions during the school year. So, summer, all bets are off. We can do whatever we want. If, if we want to have a practice or get the kids together, we could. It's going to be challenging because they're all playing uh, and they're all over the place. But we could do a lot of things during the summer if we wanted to. Once September rolls around and we start up school, uh, we have a league rule that you know, three players per coach um, can go out. So if, if I wanted to hit with some kids after school, I could take three guys out there. If another kid wandered up, I'd either have to excuse myself or you know, have him stay away until I'm done with the three I was working on. Um, you know, It's silly because we have a lot of guys that, that want the extra work and they want to be coached and they want to practice. Um, and they're almost not allowed to. We're not allowed to help them at times. So it's tough and that becomes challenging. Um, but luckily, our tradition and culture is pretty strong. So if you were to pop up Malvern Prep on a normal fall day, you know, with sun shining, you could probably find our guys out the field, you know, running some optional captain's practices, going through a lot of the daily drills and skills we do during the spring. And that's not an air quote optional. <laughs> you know, that's that's not one of those. Uh, it's optional, sure. but everyone better be there. It truly is yeah. optional. Um, right around November 1st, we expect all of our guys to start their off-season lifting programs that we want them to run all the way up into, you know, late February. Uh, as far as lifting conditioning, we give them suggested workout programs. Uh, we make ourselves available. We have a great strength coach at Malvern Prep that can, you know, can draw up things for our guys. However, again, we don't want to force them to do what we're telling them to do. If we want them to have that ownership piece. So we'll have a program for them. If they feel like they have a better program or they have something that's more suited for their needs and their goals, that's okay. Like we're going to let them do it. We just under, we just tell them like, okay, like that's fine. You just got to make sure that you're accomplishing what it is you aim to accomplish. If you say you're going to be lifting with, you know, your own strength coach and you come back and, you're not any stronger, that's on you. Um, so we just want to make sure they're educated on what they're doing and their why and have good guidance. So they're avoiding any injuries uh, and focusing on or, or focusing on the wrong things. Uh, at the start of the new year, we uh, will begin holding our weekly Zoom sessions where you know, I'll send out a Zoom invite to uh, all, all returning players. And you know, usually this year it was Monday nights. Um, kids will log on. I'll record them as well for our basketball players or guys that aren't able to get on. And we usually just cover 
you know, one concept a week, you know, it could be our approach at the plate. It could be base running. It could be our culture. It could be whatever it might be. And it's not always me. It could be an assistant coach could run one, um, you know, a pitching one. And and we just kind of get that in just to kind of speed up the time clock for us, because once we get going between tryouts and the beginning of practices, we usually have about 10 to 14 days before we start playing. So we try to use those zooms to kind of, speed up that learning curve and make sure that guys are all on the same page. Uh, also during that time, we, we start to have, uh, you know, during January, February, I'll start having individual meetings with our returning players just to talk about the upcoming season, give them again, that crystal ball outlook and allow them to have access to me to talk about anything they want to talk about or ask any questions they may have. So we're kind of on the same page going in and the expectations are, are laid out for them. So uh, there's no surprises when, when we hit the field. Um, and then, you know, we'll have our tryouts in late February into the first week of March and get rolling. And by mid to late March, we start playing real games. So it's a it's a whirlwind 12 months. But, you know, we try mm-hmm. to cram as much in there as we can. Yeah. So and this is this is an interesting perspective, because, again, I we have a little bit more time <laughs> to. Yeah. So we have December, which, you know, you go a couple of weeks and then you have uh, winter break and then you come back and you hit the ground running, but we still have about a month and a half before the season starts or yeah. even scrimmages start. And so you've got a lot less time than that. So kind of walk us through, cause you can't do everything. Like I feel yeah. like we don't have enough time and we've got almost two months to install everything we want almost three. Uh, so what do you guys like, what are you, what are your thoughts on? We have to make sure that we get X, Y, and Z done in the preseason because once the season starts, it's like, okay, <laughs> we, yeah. we don't have much time to even breathe. So kind of, cause you, cause you really had to, like you had to, to really break it down because again, you're, you're limited on time. So what are the, the things that are most important to you? That again, I'm, I guess I'm reiterating my question, but X, Y, and Z is important. And we have to do this before the season starts. Yeah, it's, you know, honestly, it's tough. I mean, you kind of, it could change from year to year. You know, you start to kind of set, you kind of look at your team coming back and maybe evaluate what it is that they already do well. uh, And you prioritize what, you know, you need to focus on early. Um, You know, for example, like we're, you know, we're about two and a half weeks in, I guess now, or maybe three weeks in and, and, you know, next week, next Friday is our first actual game. We're probably going to end up getting our fourth and fifth scrimmage games in this week before we, we open up. Um, but each day we're, you know, we're installing things like, so we're entering scrimmage games without certain things installed yet. And that's okay. We're going to get to it when we get to it and, and add to it. Um, I think for us, you know, one, the first thing I got to do preseason is I got to make sure our schedules uploaded. I got to have, you know, the, we're, we're not in our school or in our state association, which is the PIAA, uh, which is great for us because, they limit you to 20 games and we're, we're able to play unlimited games. So for, for me, the first thing I got to do is I got to build out our schedule, make sure that we're playing a college like schedule. We, we, we pretty much have, you know, we schedule up to 40 plus games year after year. Uh, our JV program usually has close to 28, 30 game schedule, which is probably unique, um, especially for Northeastern schools. Um, you know, the, the zoom and individual meetings, that's, I think where we kind of, figure out what it is we're prioritizing, you know, for this year, I think what we did was we looked at, you know, we didn't play in 2020, but in 2019, what were our areas of deficiency? And, and for us, it was our approaches at the plate and our you know, situations, uh, you know, man on third, less than two outs and, and, and kind of just focusing and diving into that so that once we got onto the field, 
we could jump right into those scenarios and not have to teach it as much as then allow them to go out and, and perform the way the things we talked about all winter time with that. Um, same thing with our processes. So, you know, we use a lot of that time in the preseason to roll out uh, a lot of what, what it is we do from a process-based scenario and the things that we value that help us win games. So it, it's really more about getting our guys to understand the game within the game for us. Um, so that, it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly what that might be that year, but that's kind of where coaches and I, we sit in the off season and figure out, okay, what do we, what do we really need to implement next year or really focus on preseason so that once we jump into it, that's established. And then we can get into the nuances we can get in, you know, cause I always look at it. We'll get to rundowns. We'll get the first and thirds. We'll get to all that stuff that we need to get to um, at some point, you know, these kids have been playing baseball a long time. I'm not saying we're not we're not going to dive into it and and te- reteach it and make sure that it's up to you know our standards, but I'm okay rolling out to a scrimmage game with one bunt coverage for the time being, you know, or one first and third play, um, if it meant that we were able to accomplish other things preseason to get ready, uh, knowing that we'll have some time to to build off those uh, you know I, I won't call them minute details, but things that might not be as pressing in the current time. Sure. Sure. No, I, re- I really like that. And I, th- I think that's a, that's a great answer to a question because again, it's, it's very broad and, and you got to know your team, which I think is, is very critical, which, which you outlined. And I think that that's an awesome, awesome point. So during the season, again, it's, uh, your season goes really fast. It's like two months yeah. and you're done. And so <laughs> you get them for a little bit and then you're in season. So just kind of walk us through what you, and this can, can be another very broad question, but like during the season, especially for head coaches that are new and and are still getting a feel for, hey, we need this or we need that. Just kind of looking back to you earlier in your career, what were some things that you have since done better over time and advice that you would give to the guys that are now getting in season and you're like, ah, you know, this is some things that I learned. These are some things that I think that would really benefit you or help you if you were in the same situation as me. Yeah, I, I think for, you know, any young coach out there probably will make some of the same mistakes that I did, um, you know, and, and one of those mistakes is, you know, trying to stuff 10 pounds of stuff into a five pound bag. Um, you know, there, there'll be days where my practice plan has, you know, A through Z on it. I, I get all these things done. And, you know, what I've learned is don't be afraid to, to chop, you know, chop that down and really make sure that whatever it is you do decide to do, you have time to do it right. Um, you know, the, the John Wooden quote of, you know, if, if we don't, don't I, I'm going to butcher it right now, but if we don't have time to do it right now, when will we have that time basically? Um, sure. So I, I think for, you know, young coaches or, you know, novice guys that are still, we all come out there with uh, so much exuberance and we're going to get all this stuff done today. And we're going to do this, 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 this. You know, sometimes you got to dial back and just make sure that you're very proficient at the things that you covered that day. Um, I, I have a big binder with me that I have basically a menu of items for broken down by every single position, team, team uh, defense and st- uh, team defense, offensive skills, whatever it might be. And I just checklist it. So as I get through things, I checklist it and I kind of give it a plus or a minus, meaning if it's a minus, we got to do it again at another point because uh, it wasn't up to our standards. If it's a plus. I don't think we have to revisit it again. You know, it, and I tell my kids that I go, if we get out there and, you know, let's say I have double cuts and relays on the, on the practice plan for the day. If we go out there and we, we teach it and then we execute it, you know, close to perfection, we're not going to practice it again 
for at least a long, maybe a tune up down the road, but we look at it like do it right this time. And we cross that, we check that box and we move on from it. But if that takes us longer than the 15 minute allotted time that we had or whatever it was that I planned out of practice, that's okay. Um, you know, on the same side of things, I, I try to make sure that we, we also don't go overkill. You know, I, I don't want to, if I said I was going to do 15 minutes of cuts and relays and I end up doing 20, that's okay. If I go 45 minutes of cuts and relays and totally throws my practice plan for a loop, that's on me. Um, right. You know, I let our team down. I let our staff down. We didn't get to a, a, other things we had to do. And honestly, once you get to a certain time range with guys doing the same thing, you're going to lose them. You know, so I'd rather shut it down, put it on the back burner for another day, let them know, hey, we're going to address this later because it wasn't up to our standards, um, but we're going to move on right now. We're going to focus on something else right now, and, and let's get back on track for this practice. Um, so I think that's a big part of it uh, for the, you know, for coaches, as you try to go with your practice plan, you, you know, figure out what matters to you, you know, figure out what it is that you need to cover uh, for us. I'd say we do, we probably do more base running. I, I feel pretty confident. We probably do more base running than 90% of high schools. <laughs> you know, we, and, and we, it, the reason we do it is because we know how important it can be. Uh, we know how it's going to be a difference in winning and losing games sometimes. And we want our players to know how important it is. So that that's a big thing for us is if something is important to you, you have to make sure that your players realize that and then it's going to become important to them. If you brush by it or you just throw it on at the back of practice or at the beginning of practice or whatever, um, you're not going to get your players to truly appreciate it or or put the focus into it that you're hoping for because you didn't put the focus into it that you're hoping for. So that, that's, a, that's a start right there. I think that, um, you know, I learned. And I hope that anyone out there could help them um, for sure. You know, and then, you know, I think the question that, you know, you wanted to ask me before was um, some things you might see, uh, you know, during our practices. Uh, for one, the high energy, like you said, we, we, we run a sprint of a season. Um, you know, we get started in early March and we're done by late May. And we, I just told you, we play close to 40 games. So if you do the math, we're pretty much playing, you know, our schedule is usually Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and then either one or two on Saturdays. We, we're Catholic school. So we, you know, we take Lord's day off on Sunday. Um, so when we get going, we're, we really only have two practice days a week. Um, and that's Monday and Thursday. So we have a lot to do, uh, you know, in those practice days, a lot of times, and our guys have to be high energy for it and they have to be, you know, amped up to come to practice. So we're big believers in the get to versus have to mentality, meaning, you know, I get to go to practice today, not I have to go to practice today. Um, you know, so we, you'll see a lot, a lot of our guys with a lot of moving parts of at practice, a lot of guys with high energy. You'll probably see some laughs and some smiles because our guys are going to be getting after it. Uh, we want it to be fun. Uh, there's no reason that shouldn't be. There, there is the disconnect between anyone who thinks that, you know, if you practice hard, it can't be fun. If you, if your practice is fun, it couldn't have been that hard. We think that those two can go hand in hand. Um, we think that our kids enjoy the hard practices and we're not, we're not out there making them run poles the whole time. Like we're out there competing and we're doing things that, you know, are pushing them and it's challenging, but it's also fun. Um, the attention to detail, you know, we have a belief that we can't expect you to make a play that we haven't prepared you to make. So, we go over the smallest details and cover plays that might not happen, um, you know, more than once or twice a year, or maybe not even for a couple seasons uh, with the belief being that, Hey, you might make this play in college because you practiced it here. 
you might not ever have that opportunity to make it here because it never comes up, you know, uh, and I'm talking about like silly things like popped up bunts or, you know, even, a, you know, we, we practice wild pitches thrown to the play. We practice our pitcher making glove flips on suicide squeezes. Um, you know, if you name like our, we put our infielders on two knees and do flips and have them fall into their belly, like a dive and play and get up and throw. Um, so these are things that might not arise that much, but when they do, we want our guys to be prepared for. Them. So you'll see a lot of attention to detail and some things that might be, some might look as overkill at times, but that's just kind of how we look at our coaching style. Uh, three, the competition. You know, we compete all the time. We have ABC, always be competing. So if it's important to you, we measure it. So when I mean measure it, we chart a ton of stuff. Uh, we track everything that we possibly can. Um, and we make individual and team competitions out of things as much as we possibly can. I find that I get the highest energy and the best effort from my guys uh, when we create an environment that they can compete with. Um, things will just matter much more to them when they know it's being tracked, when they know it's being scored, uh, when they know that they're accountable for their team or for their own score. Um, that, that's just the way their kid, the world works, I think. Our kids play sports because they enjoy competition. So why not design practice practices that cultivate that? Um, you know, our kids love to compete. Their energy goes off the charts and, and they have loads of fun when they compete. There's a lot of trash talk and, um, you know, and it becomes that environment that they need to be ready for in the game, which leads to my next point, game life. You know, we do some skills and drills that lay the foundations for fundamentals, just like majority of coaches would do. Um, but our practices tend to revolve around game like conditions. You know, we don't just play catch to warm up. You know, our throwing progressions revolve around game-like throws that they'll have to make. You know, we even tell our guys, the only time you're just going to take the ball out of your glove and take one step and just flip the ball back is, you know, maybe, you know, after a cutoff or after, um, you know, a pick off the first base and you're throwing it back to the pitcher. Other than that, every other throw you make isn't going to look like that. So why are we practicing that? You know, you, we're, we're going to put you in environments where you're going to make the throws you have to make in the game. Um, you know, we track hits and BP. We track counts and bullpens. We, you know, we we're charting the stuff. Our infielders, you know, we put them on the stopwatch, you know, so they're not just fielding fungos or, you know, balls off the machine and be able to, you know, nonchalantly field, take a couple shuffles, throw a strike to first base. They got to know there's a clock. There's someone run down the line. Um, so we just try to do that as much as we can. We also know that we're going to face a lot of really good pitchers. So we, you'll rarely see us taking feel good BP. And what I mean by feel good is, you know, guy just grooving it into the zone form or, or front flips or, you know, we do it. Uh, we do want our guys, there's value to that. But, but if we're preparing to face somebody who's going to be, you know, high eighties, low nineties, I have the, one of the best BP guys probably in the country. He's a, he's a machine, but him throwing 52 miles per hour from there is not going to prepare you to be successful in the game against the guy who we're going to be facing. So we'll crank the machines up to 95 plus, or we'll have him throw live from a little league distance um, just to, to create a tougher environment of practice. than they might see in the game. Uh, the only thing that comes with that is we have to continuously reinforce that it's okay to fail at practice. You know, we fail at practice a lot so that we don't fail in games as opposed to vice versa, creating an easier practice environment to succeed. And then we fail in games. So 
that is a huge staple of what we believe in getting guys to understand that. Cause like, you know, they're fighting for jobs. You know, they want to look good in practice because they think, Oh, coach is watching. And I just got blown up by the machine or I just kicked right. four balls at shortstop. Uh, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to hear my name in the lineup. You know, they don't understand. Like I could hit your fungos and let you take your time or I could throw you BP and you could smash balls over the fence, but that's not preparing you for the game. It's okay to fail in practice. Don't feel like every time you kick a ball in practice or, or you swing and miss or, or you don't square it up, it, that's a bad thing. The more you do it now, the, the less you're going to do it when the environment changes to the game because we're creating that for you. So, um, and the last piece for me, sorry to go be so long-winded sure, with no, this I love it. Keep going. <laughs> you know, I'm passionate about practice, obviously. Um, but delegating. You know, I'm sure these guys will give a listen, so I hope you don't mind giving me a shout out. But, you know, coaches Moyer, Malconi, and Miller, Alki, and Nagy, um, they're great. I have some great assistant coaches. Uh, I couldn't do what I do. Our program wouldn't be what it is without them. So I, I draw practice plans each and every day, but they're not as thorough as one might think um, because I know how amazing my guys are and how incredibly creative they are. Um, that I And they, they all could be their own head coach. They, they really all could run their own program. Um, but I want them to take ownership of their area and, and evaluate what it is they see daily. So I might say, oh, we're going to go to individuals. And, you know, one of my coaches takes the outfielders. It just says individuals. Like, you know, sometimes I might make a couple notes of what I, specifically I want him to make sure he covers. But there's other times I, he's watching the games like I am. He sees what his outfielders are doing well, what they're not doing well. I want him to have that creativity to be able to to make his own plan. So I look like when I was teaching um, – a mentor of mine said, you know, teaching, you don't want to be the sage on the stage. You want to be the guide on the side. And, and I kind of look at coaching the same way. Like I don't want everything to be, you know, me shoving the fire, fire hose in everybody's mouth. I want to be the guide on the side. When my coaches need help with a plan or, or what to do, I'm there for them. Otherwise, if they can do their own thing, go do your own thing. I'm okay with it. I, I'm, I'm supportive of you and, and I trust you. Um, so that's kind of how we look at practice. So anyone came to practice, they might see me kind of floating all over the place. Um, but they're going to see a lot of action, a lot of activity, and they're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of guys hustling about and, and having fun. Oh, hopefully, I love it. I love it. And so with that being said, I, this is, I've, I've been trying for a, a couple of really a couple of months to nail this, how to ask this question to really get the most uh, you know, out of, out of the person. And so I, this is the best way that I could come up with it. So you'll have to have to let me know if it sucks or not. But <laughs> if there's a couple of things that you, that we could really just steal from you that you're like, Hey man, this is what we do as far as base running system or our infield outfit, like just anything that you're like, this is really cool. And I love doing this. And if any of our assistants left and, and went and took over their own program, I think that they would do X, Y, and Z. So if there's maybe one or three, I know you talked about base running a lot. You talked about competitions and all of that stuff is great. But just if we could dig down to maybe a couple of practical, uh, explainable examples that we could steal from you immediately, what would a couple of those be? Wow. Um, you, you know, I guess first and foremost, and let me think, um, I think, you know, if I were, you know, I would, if I was starting a new program tomorrow or my coaches where I think a lot of them would all agree that the first thing we'd probably do is, is implement what it is we do for our process based kind of scoring system. Um, you know, and, and the reason being is, and what that is, I should say is we've kind of identified, you know, a handful of criteria that 
we know needs to happen in the course of a game, uh, you know, whether it's winning the freebie war, whether it's, you know, strikeout plus minus, whatever it might be. Um, we have our own little system, our own little scoring chart and, you know, calculates our score. Uh, we've done all the data on it and we've, we've tracked this for over, I guess, last six years. And, you know, when we hit our goal mark and our score, we're 119 and one. Um, when we don't, we're, you know, probably a 500 club. So I think that alone is something that our kids get that we, we kind of present that to them. We show them the data, we show them all that stuff and you get a lot of buy in there. And the big purpose of it is, we look at it as there's four, four outcomes to every game. You know, you can play well and win. You play well and lose. You can play poorly and win. And you can play poorly and lose. We, we really want our kids focus on the first two. Just play your best game. If you get beat, you get beat. Um, but don't be satisfied when you get a win because the other team kicked the ball around or, you know, walked the house or, you know, whatever happened there. Uh, we want to be uh, – the reason this came about is I used to go out to the outfield after a game that we won and rant and rave at my kids and, and they look at me like, dude, we won, we won. What's the problem? Um, so I had to create something that we can measure how we played. So I think all of our coaches, if they were to leave or, you know, anyone out there, figure it out what, what it is that makes a difference for us. You know, we, we track, a, I think it's like nine or 10 things and they all have a value to them. And if we hit them like a checklist and they're, they have a point value, it adds up to a score. And when we get that score, there's been one flute game in 120 that we didn't win. Um, so our kids can see it. They buy into it from a base run standpoint. Um, you know, I owe a lot of thanks to, um, you know, Matt Tallarico and, and the steel uh, that he implemented uh, his time at Dayton and Wright state. I know, I know he's with the Yankees now, um, but we really kind of got into that a few years ago. Uh, since then we've broken our school record for stolen bases the, the next two years doing it, his system. And I mean, look, it, it, it's online. I mean, you got, I think it's, there's a, a fee for it, you know, and rightfully so, but um, we play teams all the time that come up to us after the game and said, what are you guys doing on the bases? Cause it's so unique and it's so uh, put so much pressure on us. So I think that's another area that, Anyone listening, you know, it's not proprietary to us or anyone out there. It's it's accessible, but it takes time. I'll, I'll warn you, <laughs> you know, it's not something you just throw into your program and expect it to work. But if you take time and, and you focus on that from a base running standpoint, you can create tremendous amount of pressure on teams and and steal a lot of bases and create a lot of runs. Um, you know, and then I guess I'm trying to think another one for us. For batting practice, you know, we, we, we create a lot of games. We create a lot of competition. We don't want our guys just, you know, jerking and yurking, jerking and yanking balls out the left field or, you know, right field. We want them focused on what they're doing. So we, we track, um, you know, we'll have days where we track XV low uh, with the Rapsodo or with a radar gun. We track hits. Um, we also do a scoring system, you know, based off, you know, line drive into the gap versus line drive up the middle versus ground ball, fly ball, foul ball, whatever it might be. And everything has a plus or a minus to it. And, you know, we tally up those totals. What I find with that is that it really gets kids dialed into each and every swing. Um, it trains them to, you know, be more selective during batting practice. They're not just up there hacking, you know, gets them a little more strike zone discipline. Um, sure. and, it, and it creates barrel awareness. You know, they, they, they know if we're tracking exit below, they know if they cap one off the end of the bat, they ain't going to get the, the exit below they were looking for. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we just want them to be aware of these things. And I think those are, you know, three things that guys um, in their own programs could definitely take and, and utilize and, 
and, and be unique about, you know, it doesn't have to be the, exactly the way we do it, but there, just be creative is what I would say. I love it. So I've got a couple of questions before we, we wrap this up and this is, it's more of a lightning section. Uh, and so a lot of it has to do with, you know, what you're learning, what you're digging into, but what's something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about? So one thing I learned recently at the, this year, the ABCA was virtual. Um, and I got to you know, log on and watch a lot of great presentations as, as usual. Um, there was, and I, and I, and I apologize if he's listening, but I, I forget his name, but there was a high school coach, um, that presented that had a process based scoring system, similar to what we do with our teams on game day, but his was individually based and it encompassed practice, the weight room, classroom and community service performance. And, you know, it was super intriguing. Um, definitely something I love to implement once I figure out the logistics of how we can pull it off, because it, it sounded like he had a, a handful of managers and you got to be really organized to be tracking all the stuff he was tracking. But it was pretty cool because it gave objective data to their guys. So each week it would be posted and, and it had like a ranking, um, you know, based on your performance in the classroom, on the field, you know, and you could pick whatever you wanted. Um, so it's very creative in terms of what you want to dial in on that week. So I forget what he was calling it. it might have been, you know, something PI, the process index or process indicators, um, whatever their team name was, but I'd have to go back and dig it up. But uh, it was it was really cool to see, especially as a program that does that from a team standpoint, to see that you can do it individually and give that feedback to your guys. Because I think every coach out there has conversations with their staff about, Hey, why this guy's the starter and why this guy's the backup. And we just assume that every kid and every parent that's watching can tell the same things we can. And that's not necessarily the truth. Sometimes given that data, kids can now see, okay, well, I got to get better in these key areas. If I want to jump to the, you know, jump up the depth chart, I keep falling back. I'm, I'm seventh on the team every week in this ranking system. How do I improve upon that? So really jazzed up to, to dig in. I don't think it was ready to be rolled out this year um, for us, but, something I'm excited, excited to learn more about and see if we can implement it. Awesome. What about the opposite of the question, which is what is something you used to do that you've changed your mind about and don't do anymore? Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's something I really changed my mind about as much as a, it's been, a, a, I guess a character flaw would be described as, um, or a flaw that I've realized. It's really kind of, the lack of a better word, you know, I was very becoming very unenthusiastic or unsatisfied with winning. Um, and, and again, I don't want to come off the wrong way or, or sound arrogant. I'm sure everybody you know, loves to win. But what I mean is I felt like we had been so conditioned to be prepared to win that winning lost its luster for us. Uh, and for me, at least me personally, which then probably permeates in my team. Um, we, we, we took so much more time to discuss losses. You know, and so much more time kind of this is why we lost and we got to do this better and this, this, this. And then when we win, it was like, OK, you know, the, the, well, you should win. So I wasn't really taking any time to enjoy the wins um, or feel excited by them. And, and you know, that was uh, that viewpoint was something I was probably pushing on my program. And, and probably at the time, I probably thought that was a good thing. Sure. Uh, now, looking back, I think it's, you know terrible <laughs> you know, for lack of better words i was basically punishing myself and my team for losing um but wasn't allowing them or myself to feel joy or satisfaction in winning uh almost as I if it. you know i looked at it like you know yeah well you, if you put your key in the door the lock's going to open like what's the big deal um 
you know, so I've tried to make more of an effort to celebrate and, and truly let our guys feel satisfied and myself feel satisfied when we win uh, without losing my focus on what I discussed earlier and making sure, you know, the win did not come at the expense of playing well. Um, but that's, that's something that I feel like I've had to constantly stay in tune about. I mean, there's, there's been times where, you know, our kids won a state championship and they're dogpiling and I don't even crack a smile. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? Um, so I think that's something I want to, you know, continue to focus on and, and make sure that I remember like these, these kids work really hard. Our coaches work really hard. You know, every, don't take anything for granted. If you know you win a game, enjoy it, celebrate, let the kids have fun. You know, coaches should have fun. Like it was, it's something you shouldn't just brush by. Sure. I can, I can feel a lot of coaches shaking their head with you right now. Cause I, I think, and a lot of self-awareness within that too, Freddie, which is really, really cool. Yeah. What is it? Uh, next question is what is a drill that your players love that we can steal from you? If you didn't cover it already. Yeah. I mean, I think one of them right off the bat was the, you know, the, the creating competitions in batting practice. Um, you know, either you get yourself a radar gun or, you know, if you have the funds and good fundraising, get yourself a rap soda if you want. Um, you know, and, and, you can create a leaderboard based on their, you know, their high of XV low or their averages for the day, or, you know, judging on the, whether it's a hit or not, um, you know, and chart it, you know, just really just chart it. If you don't, if you're not, again, if it's not important, if you don't, if it's important to you, you'll measure it. And that's kind of how I look at it. Or if you want it to be important to them, you'll measure it because you can hem and haul as much as you want. If, if you're not giving them concrete data, like, Hey, you just took 25 swing swings and you only hit five balls hard. Um, that's a problem in batting practice. Um, so I think just measuring it would be one thing. Another thing we do, um, you know, we do a bunt scrimmage uh, that I forget, you know, somewhere along the years, I, again, we take a lot of ideas from a lot of great coaches. So uh, someone had this bunt scrimmage idea where we actually challenged the defense with it by moving the bases closer about 10 feet. So, you know, the batter doesn't have to run as far, but it also, we have the machine cranked up. So the batter's challenged as well to get the bunts down. And there's a scoring system based on the result. Did you advance the runner? Did you get a hit out of it? Did you force an error? Um, and also the location of the bunt. Like, did you put it in little triangles that we have kind of spray painted on the field or marked off with cones? Um, you know, and we found like that bunt scrimmage idea. If you're like me, and again, going back to your last question, this is something we changed. We used to, you know, start practice with your run of the mill bunting drills. Um, you know, the kid throwing from 25 feet away, lobbing it in, and you know, the kids bunting and no, nothing being tracked, and you know, very sloppy, not game like at all. Um, so that's something that I could have answered that last question with, but. We found this is far better for your standard bunch drills because it gets guys uh, that tend to go through the motions locked in. It creates a competition. It creates urgency. It brings base running and defense and decision making into the fold because, you know, that that split second decision, you know, on a bunt, whether I want to go to second base or third base with it or I take that out first base, knowing that first base is closer in this drill. Um you know, and kids are, are focusing on locating because they know if they can get a hit out of it, that gets them a bonus point for the team. Um, so those are things that we just do. And, and we do partner races, you know, for our conditioning at the end of practice, you know, rather than just sprinting them or running the bases, you know, we'll do partner races and, and create some zany scenarios where, you know, they're, they're both lying flat on their back and on the now call, they both hop up and other guys trying to catch the guy in front of them. Um, you know, it's just a, a creative way to get your running in and get your conditioning in, um, but also let the kids have fun with it. So I guess my last piece there is just be creative again. You know, if you can find ways um, 
to jazz up practice and, and again get guys to to look at with that get to versus have to mentality of like they're they're excited to come out there are i would say if you interviewed our kids they they look forward to come to practice because they look forward that. to seeing what we're going to what we're going to come up with next you know they know they're going to get pushed they know they're going to compete but they also know they're going to have some fun with competitions and and they can't wait to see what we're going to do next um so be creative and and don't let it get stale is what i tell people no that's fantastic and then finally, if you had to, if you had the, the budget to buy one book or just any resource in general for all of our listeners, what would that one resource be? Mm, tough to pick just one. Um, you know, first I would definitely suggest, you know, every, every coach join the ABCA, um, ton of great resources there, um, you know, that they make available to you on the website uh, in person with the convention, barnstormers events, practically everything you think of is on the forums. Um, it's just a tremendous fraternity to be a part of uh, and well worth, you know, the, the yearly dues are very minimal um, Two, I love podcasts. Like Jonathan, when you asked me to come on, I was like a kid in the candy store because I, I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time now and I've been a big fan. So to be on it has been kind of humbling and, and pretty exciting for me. So uh, coaches listen to these podcasts. There's podcasts are so easy. You just plug them into your car and you can listen when you're riding to work and there's plenty of them out there. and you know, guys, guys like you, Jonathan, get some really awesome coaches on here that I've heard talk and, and got access to through your podcast, which is, you know, it's not like I have a lot of their cell phone numbers and pick up the phone and call them, but I can actually listen to what their best practices are and things that they do and their beliefs and philosophies. So, um, and it's helped me become a better coach and leader, I think, uh, and read, you know, read as much as you can. Um, you know, I try to read as much as I can with, you know, two little girls at home and my schedule, but I got a stack of books that I still have to work through. But if I had to pick the one book, um, it would be Bill Walsh's, uh, the score takes care of itself. Um, just a phenomenal read. Um, and it's not just for coaches. I mean, I think every mm -hmm. CEO should read this book. I think every, any person who's in the leadership position of any kind, um, would get value out of this book. Um, it's it just when I finished that one, I, I always said it was wow. Like that was, <laughs> it is know. a good one. Yeah. So that would be the one I'd recommend. Well, Freddie, man, I, man, I, I am going to have to listen to the, this again. I don't think I, I could write down notes quick enough uh, for all the, <laughs> the practical stuff that you gave us today. So no, nah, I'm serious. And, yeah. and so uh, let me be the first to say uh, before everyone else does that we appreciate you. We appreciate you coming on. And of course you were, I was honored to be able to interview you. So I'm, I'm thankful that you listen as well. But I will link your contact in the show notes. So if you're listening to this right now, just scroll down to the show notes and you can click on Twitter or uh, to email Freddie. But I'm going to mute myself and just kind of let you uh, roll with the outro here. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Uh, I guess just um, never lose your growth mindset um, or let your ego get in the way. I, I feel like the minute you start thinking you know enough or you have it all figured out is, you know, the minute you start regressing as a coach and as a leader, um, the, the baseball community is absolutely amazing. Um, and I've yet to meet any coaches that aren't willing to share out what it is that they do and help other coaches. Uh, so don't be afraid to ask. Um, you know, I have, uh, I've DM coaches. I have my staff has DM coaches or, and, and reached out via email and, I've yet to meet a coach that said, no, like we're not going to share what we do. Um, so I think that's very important that it's out there. You just have to want to, you have to one, have the courage to ask people and two, you want to learn. 
Um, if you keep those two things, I think, you know, you got a bright future in coaching. And then for the youth coaches and travel coaches listening, just make the game fun and teach it well. Um, I feel we're losing athletes too frequently due to baseball being, you know, too slow or boring. Um, and that doesn't have to be the case. Uh, it's we the guys in the game. We know it's not too slow. We know it's not boring, but we have to make sure that the youth levels and the travel ball levels and, and whatnot, these kids are enjoying it. It's a great game, has a lot of layers to it. Um, you know, keep them excited about it. Make sure they're having fun and, and let's make sure we're growing. The game. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.